Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy. And in this episode, I am so excited to bring on the absolutely wonderful Shelly Prosco. Shelly is a Canadian physiotherapist, yoga therapist, author, speaker, and educator dedicated to empowering individuals to create and sustain meaningful lives by teaching and advocating for the integration of yoga into modern healthcare. She is a respected pioneer of physio-yoga, a combination of physiotherapy and yoga. She guest lectures at medical colleges, teaches at yoga therapy and yoga teacher training, speaks internationally at yoga therapy and medical conferences, contributes to academic research, provides mentorship to healthcare professionals, and offers on-site and online continuing education courses for yoga and healthcare professionals on topics surrounding chronic pain, pelvic health, compassion, and professional burnout. She is also the co-editor of the textbook, Yoga in Science and Pain Care, Treating the Person in Pain by Singing Dragon Publishers. She is a University of Saskatchewan graduate and has extensive training in yoga therapy in numerous specialty areas with over 20 years of experience integrating yoga therapy into rehab and wellness care. She considers herself a lifetime student and emphasizes the immense value gained from clinical experience and learning from her patients, the professionals she teaches, and the colleagues with which she collaborates. She maintains a clinical practice in Sylvan Lake, Canada, and mentors professionals who are interested in pursuing this integrative path. So, what are we talking about on today's episode? Well, first of all, we're going to talk about the book, Yoga Science in Pain Care, Treating the Person in Pain. Uh, Shelley is not only co-editor, but she also authored one of the chapters. And her chapter uh, is about compassion and compassion in healthcare professionals. So in this episode, we discuss, can compassion be trained? The six elements of the Halifax's model of inactive compassion, empathic distress, compassion fatigue and burnout among healthcare practitioners, it's a thing, and the five facets of comprehensive, passionate pain care. So again, if you're interested in the book, Yoga and the Science of Pain Care, Treating the Person in Pain, or anything of Shelley Prosco. We have all of the links on the website at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com under this episode. So just hop on over, and one click will take you to all of the information we're talking about today. So a huge thank you to Shelley, and everyone enjoy today's episode on Compassionate Care. Hey, Shelly, welcome to the podcast. I am excited to have you on. This is going to be fun today. Mm-hmm. Thank you for having me. Really excited to talk about this. So I spoke to your co-author, Neil, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, talking about your book, Yoga, Science and, Yoga and Science and Pain Care, Treating the Person in Pain. And I'm really excited to dig into 
sort of your writing within this book because you are writing about compassion. So before we get into the nitty gritty, what is compassion? How do you define it? So believe it or not, there actually is not one agreed upon definition. So that's the first thing is some people describe it as a trait. Um, others say it's more of an emotion. Some people say it's like a, um, a motivation or a behavior. But the definition that I use in my chapter is the one that is kind of the working definition that the leading compassion researchers use in um, the Oxford Handbook of Compassion Science. So that's kind of like the compendium, the Bible of all the thought leaders and researchers around compassion. So that definition, um, the working definition there is basically compassion is first and foremost, you have to be able to recognize that someone is suffering or struggling or in need. And then the second component is then we have to have the motivation to want to do something about it, to alleviate or to help. So basically recognizing the suffering with the motivation to relieve. And that is not just us um, and someone else. That's also within ourselves. So compassion also includes the self-compassion piece. And that's, I think, really important for us to keep in mind. Yeah, I was going to say, and would you say that having compassion for yourself allows you to be more compassionate towards others? Do you feel like it's a prerequisite for compassion as a healthcare provider? That's a really good question. Um, from my perspective, I think it helps. The more self-compassion we have, the more compassionate we can be for others. But the research is kind of right now from what I've been reading. Actually, I just listened to um, a recent podcast uh, a couple days ago and on, um, with a couple of the leading researchers. And there still is no really solid evidence that increasing self-compassion translates to increased compassion for others or that increasing compassion for others translates to increased self-compassion. That said, there is some research that shows cultivating self-compassion does seem to help increase compassion for others. So we have a little bit of research that says that, and my own personal view would be yes. I don't know if it's a prerequisite, but I have noticed in my own self, um, without making this like a therapy session, <laughs> um, I have noticed that um, I scored quite low on self-compassion, and I have traditionally been quite, you know, self-critical and hard on myself. But as I've learned more about this stuff and practicing self-compassion, what that is and, and exploring it and experiencing it, I feel like I overall am just understanding more what compassion is. And I feel like maybe I'm, you know, more compassionate. It could be just age and stuff too and experience, but that, that would be my answer to that. And why is compassion important in the care of people in pain? So how does it benefit me as a healthcare provider to understand compassion when I'm working with people in pain? Yeah, so I just want to be clear that sometimes people equate, um, you know, just being compassionate, they just equate that to being kind, you know, and it just should be common sense and just don't be a jerk. You know, a lot of people just say, well, just, it's not that hard, but um you know, it is a little more nuanced than that. And 
just going back to your question on, you know, what are some of the benefits? If we actually look at the, the deeper layers of compassion, um, which I can get into a little bit later, later, but the components that go into being um, offering compassion and also self-compassion towards, you know, yourself. Um, a lot of the research shows, I mean, stuff that we're not probably really surprised at, like it can increase quality of care for our patients, increase patient outcomes, increase patient satisfaction, increase therapeutic alliance, um, and increase patient self-care. So I want to just briefly talk about this because um, I think it's really important and we don't think about this part of compassion. But there's this one study um, that I talk about in the book chapter, and it was an entire year long. It was in an integrative rehab hospital. And it showed there was 100 um, women who were living with chronic pain. And it showed that it was only once these women actually experienced what it was like to be loved, cared for, um, to be seen, to be heard. In other words, to have actually to receive compassionate care. Only then could they take active steps towards their own self-care, which I think is really important in pain care because so often we talk about how important it is for our patients to play an active role in their, in their pain care. We're always talking about that. The literature says that. We're trying to help our patients make healthier choices, etc. And now we have some research that says, well, you know what? If we provide this very in-depth, nuanced, compassionate care, it looks like people then, our patients are then more likely to, uh, you know, uh, better, make better choices. And it, it's neat, some of the women, what they were saying, things like they felt worthy, they felt um, loved and yeah worthy enough to be cared for and i just think all of that is so fascinating so those are yeah did you want to no go ahead um, yeah so those are some of the you know the benefits to providing compassionate care but there's also benefits to us as the healthcare provider so what some of the research is showing is that it can actually help protect against burnout it I'm, actually i think that's true sure yeah yeah, and we can dive into that a little bit later, too, and some of the myths, you know, around too much compassion. But, um, you know, and also just overall, po the positive health, health outcomes are increased in us as the healthcare provider. And even things like reduced anxiety, depression, um, even stuff like reduced medical costs and errors and malpractice claims. Like, this is just what all the research is saying. Um, but then I think the other part of it that I do want to, really highlight is the self-compassion piece. So there is benefit for the person in pain to practice self-compassion is what the, some of the research is showing us now. And there is also benefit for us as the healthcare provider to practice self-compassion. And again, some of that for us as the healthcare provider is like reducing burnout, reducing um, excessive empathy, which they're calling, you know, empathic distress or em empathy things like that, it helping us improve our emotional resiliency and, like we said, potentially even increase concern for others. But in the patient, and this is what I thought was so fascinating, as of now, I think there's um, only about five or six studies out there, but they do show that people in pain that either have higher self-compassion or some of the studies actually show people in pain doing these self-compassion practices actually can show uh, reduced pain severity, reduced anger, reduced psychological distress or things like depression, anxiety, and even increased pain acceptance. 
So we know, we know there's some benefits, yeah, especially with the ACT and acceptance commitment therapy research, we're starting to see how that's important. And, um, you know, there's even uh, some links to reduce pain catastrophization and rumination and decreased fear avoidance behaviors. And it's just, it's just really fascinating. And I think um, just the last bit here on, the, on that question is increased self-compassion has been shown to reduce our own self-criticism and increase our motivation to actually change our behaviors. I was Which just is talking today with a patient of mine who's a psychiatrist, and we were just saying, man, how hard it is to change behaviors for human beings. We were, because she was talking, she has a dog, and how with a dog, you know, you can change behaviors by uh, motivating them through food so they have these incentives, they're incentivized through food. Humans, it's a little bit harder how difficult it is to change behavior in a human being. So now let's, if, if compassion and practicing self-compassion can help with behavior change, how do we change compassion? How, I mean, how do we train compassion? Can we train it? Right. Yeah. So the literature says, yes, um, it is trainable. And we have, we have quite a bit now and there's different programs and different styles. Um, and I think, you know, there's a lot of different models. And I think probably just to make it easiest for us here is I'll, I'll talk through this one model that I really like. It's Joan Halifax. And she's an anthropologist and uh, a meditation teacher and a few other things. Um, but she has a really nice model of an active compassion. And what she talks about is, you know, how I said the definition of compassion was in uh, recognizing the suffering first and then having the motivation to alleviate it. She actually goes beyond this. And she says that definition is a little bit limiting because compassion is actually more of a dynamic emergent process. So it's more, some, it's more of a wisdom that emerges within the context of the environment that we're in which makes sense if you know anything about systems theory or emergent theory. And, you know, so if, if we're in a room together with our patient, you've got the patient and that person and everything, they're a dynamic, you know, evolving system right there in that moment. And then there's us. We're also a dynamic evolving system. And then we come together in the context of the environment and that even changes the dynamic or influences. So, Compassion can emerge from that interaction from a series of elements that are actually non-compassionate in and of themselves. So we can train um, these six elements, and again, this is Halifax's model, but we can train these six elements, and it's not like you just train one and then it, you train the other. It's not linear. They're, you know, it's, a, like I said, an interdependent, integrative process. Um, but I think it's just really fascinating because this is something accessible and tangible. And so just really briefly, do you want me to just go through those six elements? Yeah. Yeah. If you can go through those six elements, that would be great. Okay. Um, and in the book, I go obviously into depth and I'll just try to keep this short, but the first element is the attentive domain. So that's just being fully and wholeheartedly hundred percent present. And you can, we can cultivate our focus, our concentration, and our attention through a whole host of different ways, right? Whether it's 
different mindfulness practices or focused concentrative um, activities. So that, that's a whole other way to cultivate that. So just by cultivating and practicing attention is, the, is one way to help the process of compassion. And then the second one is the effective domain. So that is being aware of our emotions. Uh, we have a lot of research that shows the more aware we are of our emotions, the more aware we can be of others. And we also, yeah, it makes sense. And then we also have research that shows some interoceptive awareness practices, believe it or not, because of the ways, yeah, something with the insular cortex, um, you know, we don't know if it's that more information is being sent to the insular cortex or it's just changing the way the brain's interpreting this. But when we do inter in, uh, interoceptive awareness practices, it seems that that increases our ability to be more in touch with our own emotions, which and is super cool. What is an example of that? So an interoceptive awareness practice might be like a body scan. So you're doing, yeah, so you're taking yourself, we're guiding a patient through, you know, a two minute, um, you know, scan of the body and inside and what our inside physiological state is like. It could be even, you know, a breath um, awareness practice and just knowing how that feels inside the body. Mm -hmm. um, and then the third element is intention. So in, in yoga, um, that of course, you know, that's... Uh, you know, my framework, yes. how I, I frame a lot of things. But in yoga, we, there's a saying, you know, where your intention goes, the energy follows. So, but from a science perspective, um, when you can actually focus and concentrate on something that you really put, like, have an intention to it, that can affect the outcome. So, for example, the intention when you're working with someone might be first and foremost, my intention is to care for myself first. Secondly, to then care for the person in front of me. And then you may just want to keep that in mind throughout the whole session. And your intention may be something really specific, like I am here to serve. You know, and you sort of keep repeating that to yourself. Oh, I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve. And um, intention setting can be super powerful. Um, I don't know if you've done any intention setting before, but you just set an intention. Um, it doesn't even have to be related to our professional career here, just even personally. You go into a room or a setting where you're feeling like you don't really want to be there, et cetera, maybe a family, Christmas dinner. And if you go in with this intention, okay, I'm just going to focus on, you could say anything, I just want to be present. Or I'm just going to focus on being kind to myself, and you just you just focus on that one intention. It's like a theme. So that's the that's the third um, element. So remember, all of these are are now together. They start to accumulate into um, gaining more insight into the person's suffering in front of you, which then can lead us to have a more compassionate response. So then the fourth element is insight, and that's basically just the idea that these um, first three components together and practice can lead to that deeper insight into what that person is, you know, is really going through. Um, and then the other part to that insight, I just want to add, because I think it's so fascinating. Once we start gaining deeper insight into all this stuff, we do start to, to understand that um, there's something called therapeutic humility, which is this idea that, you know, we can't control the outcome. So we do the best that we can, 
we gain as much information as we can. We, we be the best people we can be. We help the person as much as we can. And then we detach from outcome. And we can pay lip service to that. And we can all understand that. But when it comes down to it, I think a lot of us are attached. Um, and, and we're invested in making sure that the outcome is a certain way. So we could talk about that for a long time. But this is huge in part of the compassionate response is this idea to have this insight that um, we have to have this humility that we're not the almighty savior and we can't control outcomes. And then the last two um, are embodied and engaged. And so the embodied domain is really this idea that we are fully, fully present. So kind of similar to the first one, but this one is more that we are uh, dividing our attention, meaning we, yes, we have to listen fully and be fully present for the person in front of us, but we also have to stay within our body and not detach from what we're experiencing and disassociate. So we have this idea that we can still feel if, if our breath is tightening or if there's tension in our body, and that can give us a lot of um, information as well. That's really important. So that's part of the, of the compassionate process. And then the last one, the engaged domain, that's really compassion in action. So that's your, your compassionate response. And I think for here, this one, I think the biggest take home message for me has been, it's, it's obviously informed by everything I just said. And it's different depending on the context. So there's no, there's no go-to, this is the strategy, or this is my response, or this is what I say, you know, when my friend is struggling and, or someone's giving you some bad news. And there's no really go-to response. Um, you can have some ideas, of course, and <laughs> some things maybe that aren't, we want to stay away from saying. But it's, it's really important to understand that Compassion is this wisdom that emerges from that situation. And the engaged part might be not saying anything or not doing anything. It could be just holding space. And so I hope um, that helps you and the listeners under sort of get a deeper appreciation for this process and that we can train it and that it takes time and it can be extremely helpful for both the person in pain and for us. Yeah, I think that's great. And thank you so much for going into a little more detail there on that model. I think it makes it a little more concrete uh, for myself and, and certainly for the, hopefully for the listeners as well. And now, I think something that people may misunderstand or misconstrue is the idea of compassion and empathy as being the same. So is there, so my question is, is there a difference between compassion and empathy? And if so, can you kind of give us the similarities or differences there? Yeah, so just like compassion, um, empathy does not have one agreed upon definition either. So this makes it challenging to talk about this stuff because, you know, people have different ideas as to what these things are. So some, um, you know, of what I've read about empathy, it depends if we're talking about cognitive empathy or emotional empathy, behavioral empathy. So that makes it a bit tricky, but I'm going to stick with the empathy that I find most people resonate with. Um, and that is more that the empathy where it's the capacity of 
um, of our, our capacity to be able to share the feelings of another person. So what it's like to be in the other person's shoes, right? To resonate with their experience, even to share that emotional experience. So if we use that definition, then you know, we can see that empathy is really more of a competency. It can be a, a motivating force for compassion. But what the literature shows is that empathy is neither sufficient nor required for compassion. And you think about that for a moment, it makes sense because we can have empathy for someone. So we may be able to, you know, really understand and emotionally share that same experience or share that same feeling because we've had a similar experience. But the response may not necessarily be a compassionate one. And there's lots of different reasons as to why we would or wouldn't. Um, I go into a little bit of that in the book, but um, just I think, I hope that makes sense to everybody, how you could still have this empathy, but maybe not um, provide a, a very compassionate response. The other, um, the other part of that is you don't necessarily have to even have empathy in order to provide a compassionate response. And I think that's actually quite hopeful. Um, and, you know, cause I think even talking to some of my colleagues who some people may feel that they're not as, as empathetic or they've been told that they don't have, you know, right. like you don't, you don't understand. <laughs> and, um, you know, the good news is you may not be really empathetic or you may not consider yourself an empath, but you can still have a compassionate response. And I think if you go back to the Halifax model of all of those elements, um, you know, that help us um, provide a compassionate response, empathy can be part of that. Like we say, it can be a motivating factor, but not, you know, not the only factor. And it certainly um, could still be lacking I and mean, you could still be compassionate. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. That, yeah. Is, that is hopeful for people who maybe feel like they, they're not as empathic as they would like to be. But like you said, that Halifax model is this sort of emergent model by having all of these different inputs go into the system and have, you know, an emergence of compassion from you. So it's not like all of those parts need to be equal. Right. And empathy, like I said, empathy can be, can be good. Of course, um, you know, just think of a time when you shared someone's experience or feeling, you know, or their experience, you've had a similar experience that may help us give us an idea, but we also have to, look, I think this is interesting too. We also have to look at, um, the fact that sometimes if we have empathy and we can really share that feeling, if we're not careful and if we're not in this, um, more clear kind of state, um, we may actually start to look at our experience and what we went through and put that on someone else, like almost feeling that, well, this is how I felt, so they must feel that too. And there's something that Paul Bloom, he's a psychologist at Yale, he calls it empathy arrogance, or the arrogance of empathy. And it's just fascinating, some of his work. And, you know, this really made sense to me when he talks about the fact that can we truly, truly have empathy, you know, on that deep level and what it means, because that, that means that we want, you know, really understand 
and, and share 100% what that person is going through. And we can't do that, really, if you think about it. And it could be, you know, someone maybe that we've had a similar experience to, or it could be think of yourself as a healthcare provider. Look at all the patients we have um, coming to see us who are very, very different from us, different um, things have happened to them, different socioeconomic status, people who are maybe vulnerable populations, marginalized um, And if we're in a position of privilege, how can we truly empathize with some of the issues and the things that they're going through that may affect their pain? Mm -hmm. So that's a kind of a a tangent, but I think um, why I brought that up, why I think it's important is because it's just this idea that we can still be really, really compassionate and we can train for these compassionate responses, even if maybe we can't fully empathize. So I think that was the point of me bringing that up. Yeah, and I think in my mind, it kind of takes a load off of me as the uh, healthcare provider, you know, that you don't have to have experienced what your patient has experienced in order to provide compassionate care, in order to have that therapeutic relationship, in order to help with, um, help that patient in, in, uh, some point of their recovery. So I think it takes a little bit of the pressure off of the healthcare provider, which may in turn help us to be better providers. So we mm-hmm. don't have that pressure, like you said, that pressure on us for, for outcomes, because perhaps, you know, you don't want to think, well, because I never experienced it, that I can't help this person. Right, them away, or I'm not the right person for you, or something like that. So I think it's a it's an important distinction. Um, and now in the book, um, in your chapter, you sort of have this model of comprehensive, compassionate pain care. Um, five sort of points to that. So can you speak about that compassionate about that model of compassionate pain care? Yeah, so it's really just um, looking at all the different orientations of compassion. So Paul Gilbert, this is based on Paul Gilbert's work. He's another compassion researcher in the UK. And um, he talks about the orientations, which is giving compassion. And then obviously we have to also receive it. And then the third orientation is the self-compassion within us. So the the five um, components that I see when you look at the full comprehensive compassionate pain care, the first one is, of course, what we've talked about here, the healthcare provider providing compassion. And then the second component is the healthcare practitioner and the person in pain cultivating or practicing self-compassion. So that's within each, um, each of us. And then the third one is also close family and friends cultivating compassion towards self and others, including the person in pain. And then the fourth is that we want to make sure this, that uh, the values of the healthcare organization, including its leaders, are in line with compassionate care. So this includes a commitment to providing and supporting an environment where compassion can be cultivated by both the healthcare provider and the person in pain. And I think that's you know, just really important to include in in a comprehensive model here because it's not just about the healthcare provider and the person. And then the very last one is just the community at large. You know, I think it's important to have 
overall public awareness and understanding, um, you know, surrounding the importance and the health benefits and practices of compassion for self and others. And of course, that includes the person in pain. So that's a little lofty and I don't have a, um, a task force or a plan. I was just going to ask you that. <laughs> <laughs> Not this, you know, right now I'm focusing on those first two and I'm doing a lot of different things. Um, and this is going to be my life's work, Karen. Like I really believe in this stuff. And, and I think increasing uh, pain literacy and increasing compassion literacy are two things that, you know, I'm, I'm in it for the long run. And, and so how that looks on how we increase pain literacy and compassion literacy in, you know, in just in the general public and in healthcare organizations. I mean, that's, that's a huge topic, but you know, I'm, there are some different things that I've been involved in just with, not necessarily with compassion per se, but just increasing pain literacy in, um, you know, our healthcare community and yoga uh, therapy community. So yeah, it'll, but the, to me that, that's, it's, it's gotta be comprehensive like that. Um, it does. It does. Yeah. And that's the way you're going to make, I think, a, a, a worldwide impact, certainly on those living in pain, when we know, at least here in the United States, and I, I think this is probably, uh, can kind of be generalized to other parts of the world, but here in the United States, the burden of care for just low back pain and neck pain is number, I think, three or four behind heart disease, like diabetes. So we're talking about pain as being one of the largest burden of care in the United States. And, and I would argue probably in, across the world, I don't know that it's that much different, or there's that much difference from other parts of the world. I don't know what it's like in Canada, but I mean, it's a lot of money, it's a lot of time, it's a lot of resources, it's a lot of relationships, it's a lot of people in pain contributing to, the, to that burden. Behind those big numbers of trillions of dollars, they're individual people. And so if adding something like compassionate pain care can help make even the tiniest dent in that, then I think it's, I don't think it's a lofty goal. I think it's just a goal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that's, I'm glad you, you say that and you, you put that into perspective, which I appreciate. And yeah, and I think that, you know, just overall this, you know, compassion, what we've been talking about here, like, I think it's, it's the foundation of pain care or it's just a foundation of health care. Yeah. Care. You know, it's, you yeah. can't really argue with that. And, and I think, I don't think anybody would argue with that. Um, but what I think we just don't quite understand is that we may have good intentions and we may think that intuitively, yes, we are compassionate people, but the research shows that it can be lacking in certain areas of the world in certain regions, healthcare regions. And also there are, fears and blocks and resistances to compassion. Like there are actually reasons why we may not offer a compassionate response. And, um, you know, some of those reasons are the organizational barriers or different social pressures, but some of them may also be certain uh, beliefs that we have that, that compassion may not be the best response for this person. Maybe we have a deep seated belief that the person needs 
something different. You know, there, there's a lot to this, but there are different obstacles. Um, and also just our own health. I didn't really talk about this in here, but, you know, we might be uh, overwhelmed by stress in our lives, or we may have some unmanaged personal distress. And we have research that shows, we don't need research to tell us this, I don't think, but we do have research that shows when our own physiological state is not regulated and when we're in a state of fear, fight, flight, or stress, or, or a sense of lack, um, anxiety, things like that, neurobiologically, we are not set to provide a compassionate response. Go figure. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. All right. Now, what can what would you love for the listeners to take away from this discussion? And then we'll get into where people can find you in the book and all that other stuff. But what what was what would be your your big takeaway when it comes to compassion and care? I think the biggest takeaway that I would like people to understand is that being compassion is not just about being nice or kind or a good person so that we could still be all those things but we actually may still be lacking in that compassionate wisdom so if you can just think of it more than that and that we could all maybe get uh, a little bit more skilled at developing this compassionate wisdom and I guess this is more than one takeaway, but that would be the one. And then just knowing that there are these benefits both for the people in pain and also for us as yes. the practitioner for our own health and, and yes, for, for burnout and things like that. So Awesome. Now, yeah. where can people find more information about you, what you're doing, and where the book is? So my website's probably the easiest, kind of the one-stop shop. So it's Physio Yoga dot ca like canada so p-h-y-s-i-o-y-o-g-a dot c-a and um you know if you want to sign up for my newsletter from there it's on my blog and then that keeps you up to date because i do online courses webinars i have on-site courses lots of videos youtube you know all kinds of different resources and things so uh, and then the social media links are all on my website. Yeah, well. and we'll have all of that too yeah. up on yeah. the podcast under this episode at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com right. so people can one click and get right to you. Okay, yeah. And then the book, um, the co-editors, you've already mentioned Neil Pearson uh -huh. and then Marlisa Sullivan is the other co-editor. And we do have some other authors who are contributing or who have contributed to the book. And you can find that book. I mean, it's just Google yoga and science in yeah. pain care, treating the person in pain. It's on uh, Amazon, Barnes Nobles, you know. Anywhere, the, anywhere books are sold, we like to say, go. right? Yeah. Anywhere <laughs> books are sold, you can find it. And I mean, I can say I've, I have not read all the chapters, but I have read several of them. And I 100% recommend this for healthcare practitioners or not even healthcare practitioners, really anyone. Um, because I just find that for me, it's helping me to kind of look inward a little bit more at what I'm doing and not doing and what I can improve upon. And a lot of good reminders of pain science and, and things that I can then uh, talk about with my patients, I think, in a way that, that they're understanding and, and integrating yoga and integrating compassion, integrating breathing and things like that into my treatment. So I'm finding it 
uh, very helpful from a practical oh, good. standpoint. Yeah. 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 And, the, and, um, and you're not um, necessarily integrating yoga into your practice, right? Like this, it's just, I'm not a yoga instructor, but, yeah. but yeah, it's but the principles. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's great. Yeah, yeah. That was our hope. You know, our hope was that um, healthcare providers, regardless if they wanted to go deep into, you know, yoga therapy and bring yoga into their practice or not, you know, we wanted this to, to be helpful for, you know, people who, you know, just might be informed by some of these teachings and of course, informed by the science and in line with what the contemporary science is telling us around. Pain. Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. And it's also nice because it's not like a, it's not super heavy. It's not like you're like, oh boy, like I need five hours to read two pages. You know what I mean? Because it's, it's written, um, it's written in simple language which is very nice versus, so you're taking all these studies that are very scientific and able to simplify them and distill it down into something that's very easy to read. And I think that's why it sticks. So well done for, all, for you guys on that. Um, right, thanks, Karen. Yeah. So again, uh, you can find the book at any bookseller and we will have links to it on our website. And Shelly, thank you so much for coming on. I mean, this is great and hopefully it allows people to uh, at least look into compassion training, at least start incorporating this with, with your uh, clients and with your patients. So thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm just so, so, so grateful. Yeah. Pleasure. Yeah. Pleasure. And everyone, thanks so much for listening. Have a great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. Thank you for listening and please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.